Ah yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Isaiah in Isaiah 28 verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God, and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word, line upon line. Unfortunately, is uh, recent footage from a rally uh, against protesting uh, Donald Trump's presidency. He's now the president-elect uh, for the United States. And uh, I um, found myself caught up in one of these rallies when I was in Philadelphia. And I think it's a, 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 an appropriate clip for what we're going to be looking at. And I apologize, I saw some foul language there, and I apologize for that. But I think it's an appropriate clip for the chapters we're going to be covering this evening around Paul, the Apostle Paul, at just what a polarizing figure he was. And uh, I think not that Donald Trump has anything remotely close to Paul's character, but just in our day and age, you see how polarizing he is. And people either love him or hate him. And most people don't even know him, but they, they hear things about him and they go on those uh, assumptions or those fears that they have about him. And that's exactly what we're going to see as the Apostle Paul enters Jerusalem. So welcome back to Wednesday Night Bible Study. Uh, let's begin with a prayer and get straight into uh, the study of Acts chapter 21 and 22 this evening. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we praise you and just thank you so much for your word. And the opportunity that we have to uh, study your word, to study the Holy Spirit, to understand how the Holy Spirit works and how it worked in the Apostle Paul. And so, Father, help us to understand. And uh, we just thank you so much for the opportunity that we have and pray that you'll bless us as we study your word. So we left uh, last week in Acts chapter 20, where Paul was leaving Ephesus. 
and he call, actually he didn't get to Ephesus, he got to Miletus and called the elders with him, uh, spoke with them, warned them of what was going to happen to the Ephesian church, and he was en route to Jerusalem and was really uh, pressed to get to Jerusalem uh, So by Pentecost. And so here in chapter 21 we begin that it came to pass after we, that's uh, Luke and Paul and the company that were with them, were gotten from them, that's the elders that were in Miletus, and had launched. So they're now in the ship and they've launched. And we came with straight course unto Coos, and the day following unto Rhodes. And you'll notice now as Luke is writing, he continues to give us a sense of the passage of time. That's because they're, they're working against the clock. Uh, they've, they've got um, seven Sabbaths, or 50 days, uh, before Pentecost from the, the beginning in the count from unleavened bread. And so here the day following, they're in Rhodes, and from there in Patara. And you'll see then in Patara, they found a ship that was sailing over to Phoenicia. And so they boarded that ship and set forth. And it says, and now when we had discovered uh, Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre. So just, give, just to give you a sense here, You'll see that Ephesus is in Asia. He didn't make it to Ephesus. He was in Miletus, in Caria, the province of Caria. And from there, he went down to Cus. From Cus, they stopped at Rhodes and, and then on to Patera. And then they, it seems like they uh, disembarked from that ship. And then they found another ship that was going from Patara to Tyre in Phoenicia. So they got on that ship, and then you can see that they passed south of Cyprus. They probably stopped there for a, a bit, uh, I'm not sure. But he says they discovered Cyprus. It's like you're sailing in the middle of the sea, and then finally you see land. And then they passed on the south, and they came to Phoenicia. And so he continues then, uh, they landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden. So the ship uh, was, it seems like it was a cargo ship and it was heading to Tyre, and that's where they then disembarked. And when they got to Tyre, it, it shows us here that they found disciples there in Tyre, and they stayed with those disciples another seven days. And so again, uh, Luke is giving us a sense of the passage of time as they count toward Pentecost and trying to beat the clock and get to uh, uh, Jerusalem by Pentecost. And he said, who's this, one of the disciples there, uh, said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And we're going to see something here where the Spirit is telling uh, disciples to tell Paul, uh, or, not, or they're inspired by the Spirit to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then we see Paul inspired by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So there's some sort of a conflict here that we need to, to sort through. So he said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed, so after a week they left there, and we went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children. And so what that means to that they all brought us on their way, basically they gave them money and they gave them provision uh, to continue their journey with in, and enough for the wives and children until we were out of the city and then we kneeled down on the shore and we prayed. And again, we see that the apostle was a praying man. The, the, these these um, the early church, it was a praying church. And so here they kneeled down on the shore and they prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And so now they're sailing across the, along the coast. They're trying to get to Jerusalem. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, 
we came to Ptolemy. And again, just to remind you where they are then, they've landed in Phoenicia their entire, and instead of going by land, they took ship uh, to Ptolemy. And then you're gonna see the next stop is Caesarea. And then finally, they're gonna go, go by land and get to Jerusalem. So he says here that uh, they came to Ptolemy and saluted the brethren that were in Saul at Ptolemy, and they stayed with them one day. And then the next day, uh, we were, we that were of Paul's company left and came to Caesarea and we entered into the house of Philip. Notice it calls him the evangelist. So Philip is the evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with him. So Philip was one of the seven. So here we can look at in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because of their the widows were neglected in the daily administration. And so they called the disciples together and asked them to look out and find seven men full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they will continue in prayer in the ministry of the word. And that pleased everybody. And they found Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, and then the other men that they found as well. So Philip is one of the deacons. And uh, we must never underestimate or undermine uh, the role of the deacon. I think sometimes we think deacons are some sort of, you know, sub-member and we've got to promote them. If, you know, if they've been a deacon for 10 years, it's like, oh, something's wrong. That deacon is just a stepping stone to, to ministry. And it's not. A deacon is an ordained office. It's a very specific office and it's an honorable office. And here you'll see in Timothy, when Paul says that those who have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So the deacon now, yes that's a, a particular function in the body, but we know that Stephen, even though he was a deacon, he, he gave brilliant sermons and he was inspired and he evangelized uh, the Jews that were, were there in Jerusalem. And so it seems that uh, like, Philip, like um, Stephen, Philip also has this gift of evangelizing. And so this same Philip had four daughters, they were virgins, which did prophesy. So here we have a, a deacon that's evangelizing, and we also have uh, his daughters are prophesying. And again, we need to be careful about our view of women in the church. And, and yes, it's very clear that they're not to be in a ministerial role. But at the same time, uh, it doesn't mean that they cannot prophesy. And, and clearly this would perhaps be outside of the, of the temple. But they were, pro they were prophetesses in the time of the early church. And this man had four daughters, which were prophetesses. And as we had stayed there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. So there's four prophetesses, and now there's another prophet called Agabus. And a lot of people think that, you know, there's no such thing as prophets. Well, well, there are. And uh, they, they, they are uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they're not there to aggrandize themselves. Anybody who comes saying, I'm a prophet, I'm great, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, we completely dismiss that. But certainly we don't dismiss the fact that there are, uh, there is a role for prophets, and certainly there was in the early church, and there will be with the two witnesses as they come and prophesy. So here this man called Agabus is a prophet, and he comes and joins them. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, so this is quite a, dram a dramatic scene now. He takes Paul's girdle and he bound his own hands and feet. And he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, 
so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So, so Paul is being warned repeatedly that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer. The Jews in Jerusalem are not going to tolerate him. And so when we heard these things, both we and they of that place, so, so the, the company that was with Paul and the people that lived there, they begged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So they could see very clearly and they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to understand and to see what was going to happen to Paul when he goes to Jerusalem. So because they understood what was going to happen to him, or they could see what was going to happen to him, they automatically assumed that that's a terrible thing and Paul should not go to Jerusalem. So they're begging him not to go. Then Paul answered, so, so there's this sort of uh, pleading, you know, Paul, don't go into Jerusalem. But Paul answered, what do you mean to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only. So, so the prophet is warning him that he's going to be bound. He's saying, you know what? I'm ready for that, but not just for that. I'm also ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So, so this is the sort of uh, commitment that Luke is, is uh, sharing with, uh, uh, I forgot his name now, the, the gentleman who's, who, who he's writing to. It'll come to me in a, in a moment. But uh, he's writing to him to try to get him to understand the commitment that, that the Apostle Paul had. And so here, um, Paul is uh, ready to die for Christ. And to, he's, he's going to consider it an honor should he die for Christ. So being bound, the fact that the Holy Spirit is telling uh, Agabus that Paul is going to be bound, like, that's nothing. I'm ready to die. And so when he would not be persuaded, they stopped, saying, the will of the Lord be done. So then after those days, we took up our carriages and we went to Jerusalem. And so again, just to remind you where they are, they're, they're now leaving uh, Caesarea and they're on their way now to Jerusalem and so there went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea so some of those people in that place they came uh, with Paul and with Paul's company and brought with them one Nason of Cyprus an old disciple with whom we should lodge and when we came to Jerusalem the brethren received us gladly so remember there was this intense persecution in Acts chapter 8 uh, of of the disciples, and the all the disciples fled, and that you know took the gospel to surrounding areas in Judea, uh, as as they were told that they would be witnesses to in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and then the whole world. Um, but the the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, and they continued to preach the gospel despite the intense persecution that was taking place in Jerusalem. So while Paul, and in his various journeys, while he's going through Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Macedonia, and he's going through all of the Gentile territories, the apostles remained in Jerusalem and continued to preach and evangelize despite the persecution that was taking place in Jerusalem. So now Paul is coming back to Jerusalem and the brethren there receive him gladly. The following day, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And again, note, multiple elders in each city. It's not this idea that there's one minister per city, multiple elders in each city. And when we, he had saluted them, he declared particularly and in detail what things God had wrought among the Gentiles 
by his ministry. So he's gone all several times now through the Gentile territories. Now he's come back to Jerusalem. He's received gladly. He's sharing with them everything that has happened in detail, in minute detail, uh, with through his ministry with the Gentiles. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. Note uh, they are zealous of the law, which is great. But notice that uh, James says to him that there are thousands of Jews, thousands that believe. So this is uh, the courage that these apostles had remaining in Jerusalem and preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And now here's the fruit. There are thousands of Jews that believe. But there's a problem. Paul has been going through the Gentile territory for years and his, his fame has spread, and word has come back to Jerusalem. And these Jews in Jerusalem are Jews. Yes, they're Christians, but they're Jews. And they are very zealous and very specific and very particular about the law. And they are informed of you that you teach all the Jews, which are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children neither to walk after the customs. So this is the sort of thing that we would say today, just sort of the, the modern uh, equivalent to give us a sense of what Paul is facing here, where people, they, they don't know, I was, I was in Philadelphia when I saw this massive rally and uh, all kinds of um, uh, protesters. And I just, I love this picture of this uh, professional protester. Um, but here you have all these people protesting Paul his arrival in, in Jerusalem, but they, they've not met Paul. They, they haven't spoken to Paul. They don't know what Paul is actually teaching. They just hear these rumors. And, uh, you know, this, these professional protesters here that are being bussed in various cities or were being bussed into various cities, you know, the, the, they say this is what democracy looks like, they were chanting. And yet I'm sure if I were to stop them and ask them, did you actually vote? Most of these young people didn't vote. They think they, they felt they didn't have to vote. And then when the election didn't go in their, their, their way, now they're out in the street protesting, saying this is what democracy looks like. Well, what democracy looks like is you cast your vote, and then whatever the result is, you live with it, uh, at least for four years, and then, you know, you have another shot. Uh, but, but they just, they don't know Trump, they don't understand him, uh, they haven't read in detail what he's saying, but they just get caught up with the crowd. And that's exactly what was happening here in Paul's time. They got caught up with the crowd. And um, so here it says in verse, uh, we were in verse 21, that they have heard of you, so they're, they're informed of you through rumor and gossip, that you teach all the Jews, not some of the Jews, all the Jews which are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses, saying that they shouldn't circumcise their children, neither should they walk after the customs. This is what they hear that you're teaching, and they're zealous for the law. What is it, therefore, that the multitude is going to come together, for they will hear that you are come. So, so all of the Jews are going to now gather when they hear that Paul is in town. Do therefore this that we say to you. We have four men which have a vow on them. So, so this, is what we're, this is what they're advising Paul to do. There are four men here that have taken the Nazarite vow, that have this vow on them. Them take... And purify yourself with them. So it looks like Paul has come to Jerusalem to purify himself. 
and they're saying, you know what, purify yourself with these other four uh, and be at charges with them. So look after their costs that they may shave their heads and everyone will know that those things whereof they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and you keep the law. And so remember the, this uh, vow that Paul had taken, this Nazarite vow, which it looks like these men have taken as well, that the, at the end of the vow, the Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall take the hair of the head of his separation and put it in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. So when we go back to chapter 18, remember that Paul here in chapter 18 uh, after he had stayed there in Ephesus a good while, he took his leave of the brethren and sailed from there to Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had a vow, that was the Nazarite vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, and when they wanted him to stay longer with them, he wouldn't consent but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that comes in Jerusalem, and I will return again unto you if God wills. And he sailed from Ephesus. So he had this real drive to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. We know that he cut his head, uh, his hair, but there's no indication that he actually burned the hair and finished the purification process. So it looks like perhaps he brought the hair with him to Jerusalem, and he's now going to complete the purification process and they're advising him to complete it with these other four that have also taken the vow. So them take and purify yourself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning you are nothing. They're false. They're false accusations. So Paul hasn't forsaken the law. He's following the law. The Nazarite vow is a voluntary vow. So not only is he keeping the law, that's obligatory, he's also keeping, he's going further than that and, and taking upon himself the voluntary aspects of the law, like the Nazarite vow. Uh, but they'll instead see that you yourself also walk orderly and you keep the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, so there are some Gentiles with him, and so as regarding the Gentiles that believe, we've written and concluded that they observe no such thing. So, so the Gentiles don't have to go into these uh, details with the law, save only that they keep themselves from the things offered to idols, from blood, from strangled, and from fornication, these four things. That's what the, the, the uh, council in Acts 15 uh, the Jerusalem Council, that's what they concluded, that was their judgment, and then they sent letters to everybody saying those things that concerned uh, the law regarding Gentiles coming into Israel, and to make sure that they don't do these particular things, and the rest they would learn uh, uh, through the weekly Sabbath. So Paul took the men, so Paul agreed with this judgment, and he took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification. So again, it, the indication here is that he only cut his hair when he was in um, Ephesus, and then he brought that hair with him uh, to Jerusalem, where he's going to burn it and go through the completion of the purification process with the other four men that also took the vow, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia... So, so these are Jews now that have also come into Jerusalem, 
but they were in Asia and they were aware of Paul's work in Asia. That's today modern day Turkey. And when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. And again, uh, this is all these assumptions and these fears and the sort of crowd mentality and the group think everybody's going crazy now and wanting to kill Paul. And they cried out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, Jerusalem, and further brought Greeks also into the temple. So not only is he going through Asia and, and destroying the law in Asia, He's now in Jerusalem and he's bringing Gentiles to pollute. They're bringing, bringing Gentiles into the temple to pollute the temple. I mean, this guy has got it all wrong and he is an enemy of anybody who loves Jerusalem and loves the law. So he's polluted this holy place. For they had uh, seen before with him in the city, that is in Ephesus, uh, Trophimus, and then they saw him in Jerusalem. They saw Trophimus with him, an Ephesian whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So, it, you know, Paul hadn't brought him into the temple, but they just assumed, because they saw him with him, with Paul earlier, that obviously Paul must have taken him into the city. Now, this Trophimus comes up in Paul's letter to Timothy, where Paul writes here that at this time only Luke was with him, that he's to take Mark and bring him with you, Timothy, for Mark is profitable to me in the ministry. So at one time, Mark was not profitable to him. But at this point, Mark, he now sees his, his benefit. And Tychicus, he's left and, and he's sent to Ephesus. The cloak that he left at Troas with Carpus, when you come, bring that with you. And the books, but especially the parchments. I'm not sure what the, the differentiation is between the books and the parchments. But clearly, he's got uh, the scriptures. But we also know that Paul was well read in the Greek literature and the, the, the poetry and the philosophy of the Greeks. So he's got the books and the parchments and he wants uh, Timothy to bring these. He points out that Alexander the coppersmith did him much evil and the Lord reward him according to his works, which means that's a, a real curse on Alexander, of whom you should also be aware for he has greatly withstood our words. So there's people who opposed what Paul was doing. And then this is really sad here in verse 16. At my first answer or my first defense when I had to defend the gospel, no man stood with me. So Paul is just explaining to Timothy here that, you know, he had the courage to, to stand up for the gospel, but everybody abandoned him when he had to defend. So all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me, the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. So Paul just had this drive for the Gentiles to hear the gospel. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So he, it was a very dangerous situation that he was walking into, but he walked into it and he preached the gospel. Uh, and he's, he's explaining to Timothy that he was forsaken. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. So that was Paul's drive. I'm going to be in God's kingdom and I'm going to serve and serve and, and teach and preach right up to the end, knowing that God is faithful. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then this is the part here where we see Trophimus. So salute Prisca, Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. So just outside of uh, 
Ephesus there, uh, he's left Trophimus, who was there sick. So you can see that Trophimus is this faithful disciple that has continued in the faith, but here he was left sick, and so Paul was uh, by himself and was hoping that Timothy would join him and Luke. Do your diligence to come before winter. So he wants his cloak before winter and really hopes that uh, Timothy will come. And, uh, and he goes on to, to greet the brethren. So here then, they had seen him with uh, Trophimus, the Ephesian. And so they just supposed that he brought Trophimus into the temple. And all the city was moved. So again, this, this incredible uh, uproar for the whole city just really uh, just getting involved in this sort of crowd mentality and this hatred of Paul, uh, even though they, don't, they haven't met Paul, they haven't spoken to him. And the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple. So Paul's in the temple going through the purification process. They go in there and they get him and they drag him out. And forthwith the doors were shut. They want to keep him out. And as they went about to kill him, so that's what, that's what uh, he, they, he's being warned would happen in Jerusalem, so this is very, very serious. He's about to be killed now. Uh, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. The whole city was up in an uproar. Who immediately took soldiers and centurions. So when the soldiers and centurions show up, it's serious. You don't want to get on the wrong side of Rome. So this whole chaos in, in Jerusalem uh, meant the soldiers and centurions had to come to restore order. Uh, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. This is urgent. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of the left beating of Paul. So, so you know, this is serious. When these guys show up, it's serious. They don't want to get arrested. They don't want to get killed themselves. So now Paul is spared. They would have killed him, but he's spared now. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. So he can see that he's the culprit, he's the source of this commotion, so he's arresting him now, and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another. They're all over the place. They don't have any facts, but they're, they're accusing him of all kinds among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. So he's going to sort it out. He said unto the chief captain, can I have a word with you? Can I speak to you? Who said, can you speak Greek? He was just shocked. He just assumed that this man didn't speak the language. Can you speak Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian? So this Egyptian, which before these days made an uproar uh, and led out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers. So he just assumed that this must, there's some Egyptian guy that's guilty of some incredible uh, miscreant, uh, miscreant individual here who's guilty of something serious of, of causing 4,000 murderers to flee the city and, and cause a big uproar. So this uh, centurion just assumes that this, this, this must be, um, uh, this captain assumes that this must be who this is. But he's shocked that Paul can speak Greek. But Paul said, I'm a man, which I'm a Jew, of, of Tarsus a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. This is an important city, and I'm a citizen of this city. And I'm begging you, allow me to speak to the people. And when he had given him license, so he allowed him to speak to the people, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, so now he's sort of beckoning with the hand with the authority of the Roman captain, and so there's now silence. Uh, 
and he spoke to them in the Hebrew tongue. So at this time, most uh, Jews would be trilingual. They would speak Hebrew, they would speak Greek, they would speak Aramaic. Uh, so it just depends on uh, Aramaic. It depends on where they are and which audience they're with, that they would, which language they would speak. So now in the temple, they would speak Hebrew. And Paul is now speaking Hebrew. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear you my defense, which I now make unto you. So he's now going to explain his, his position. And when they heard that he spoke in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. So they kept silence because he was there with the authority of the, the, the Roman captain. But now when he starts to speak in Hebrew, they keep even more silent. He says, I am verily a man, which I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. So this is huge credibility. So he's like saying, I went to the best school. And so when they hear this, this is very impressive, that he was taught at the feet of Gamaliel and that he was brought up in Jerusalem. So even though he was born in Tarsus, he was raised in Jerusalem and he was taught specifically at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. And they would understand that this is what that means. If he was taught by Gamaliel, then he was taught uh, uh, um, according to the specifics and the detail in the law. And I was zealous toward God as you all are this day. So I, I was the same as you. And I persecuted this way of Christianity unto the death. Like I was serious. I saw this as um, just an egregious error and I had no tolerance for it. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest does bear me witness. And all the estate of the elders from whom I also received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and I was come near to Damascus around noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. So this is the when he was uh, struck down from Damascus. And so he's, this is when he's uh, struck down uh, on the road to Damascus. And he says here, at, at noon, this bright light, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth. So he's explaining to him, this is what happened to me. So I was just like you. And then I'm on my way to persecute these people and arrest them and even kill them. And then I was struck down. And I saw this light and I said, you know, who are you? And I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, but were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spoke to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus. And there it shall be told you of all the things which are appointed for you to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, this bright, bright light, it blinded him. Being led by the hand of them that were with me 
I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And the same hour I looked upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see that just one. So, so Paul is now going to see Christ, and should hear the voice of his mouth. For you shall be his witness unto all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why wait here? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him saying unto me, Hurry! Hurry! And get out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So, you're in Jerusalem, run for your life, because they're not going to receive your testimony. And Paul says, no, 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 uh, Lord, you don't understand. You don't understand. Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on you. And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting unto his death. They know this. And I kept the raiment of them that slew him. So I was actually willing to look after their clothing so that they could be free enough to stone him. And then I gave them back their clothing and, and saluted them and, and approved of the, this action. And everybody knows this. So, so I think that I'm the best person to take the testimony of, of, of you as Messiah to these people. And he said unto me, you better, <laughs> listen, get out of here. Get out of Jerusalem. Depart. That's really nice, Paul, that you have this idea of, of how you think you can relate to these people. But you better run. Leave. Hurry. For I will send you far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience. So they were listening to this whole story and found it fascinating until this word, Gentiles. And when they heard this word, then they lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. So somehow this word Gentiles and taking the gospel or taking the law, the Torah, to the, to the Gentiles, they were happy listening to all of this and knowing that they're the chosen people. And, and they're listening carefully and silently until he says this. And, and this is very, very unfortunate because the, you know, to the Gentiles, it, the Gentiles should not be a derogatory term. Gentiles just means other nations. So, so there's the chosen nation and then there's the other nations that the chosen nation should serve. The chosen nation is chosen to be a nation of priests to the other nations to help them or to facilitate their relationship with God. But instead, because of human nature, the Jews got to believe that they are somehow really, really special and everyone else is dirt. And you see this kind of thinking, not only in Judaism, we see it in Christianity, where, you know, we believe that, hey, we're believers, we're the first fruits. And that's one thing. 
But it's one thing to believe and understand that we're the first fruits and we're being, we are now that same nation of Israel that is set aside and holy to be priests and to facilitate the relationship of the other nations and the other peoples with God. That's, that's why we're first fruits, for, to, in service to others. But somehow that escapes us, and you see churches rise up who, who know the truth, who know the gospel. But instead of being humble and realizing, wow, we're here to serve the world, the world becomes a derogatory term. And we're the special people and the world. You know, the, we, we, we just despise them because we're the special ones. And some, some churches are so bad that if you're not in their particular organization, you're nothing. They're the special ones and everybody else is filthy. And this is just not, this doesn't come from God. And we see the same kind of thinking uh, in Islam, same thing with their term kafir, which is, you know, they, they sort of take the attitude similar to the Jews with the Gentiles, where if you're a Muslim, you're wonderful. You're the best of peoples. But if you're a non-Muslim, you're a kafir. You're the filth of the earth. And all of this type of thinking, whether it's in Judaism, if it's in Islam, if it's in Christianity, or anywhere where we feel superior to others, this doesn't come from God. And so this thinking that the Jews had, it doesn't come from God. In fact, when Christ came, if you, if you look here in Luke 2, when Simeon, uh, through the Holy Spirit, was told that he would see the Messiah before he dies, he says here, my eyes have seen your salvation, which was the promise of the Holy Spirit for him, that he would see the Messiah, which you have prepared before the face of all people. So the Messiah is for all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So the Messiah is the glory of Israel, but he's a light to lighten the Gentiles. And, and that is actually a quote from Isaiah, which again, the Jews have these scriptures and they should have seen this. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isle shall wait for his law. So here this it says very clear that he shall bring judgment to the Gentiles and, and, and he's a light to the Gentiles a light to lighten the Gentiles so Paul in Damascus he's seeing this bright light because this is the light for the Gentiles and Paul understood this he came to understand that his ministry now was not to Jews specifically or, or exclusively but to the Gentile world and this was the light to the Gentiles and so when they hear this word Gentiles they absolutely freak out and, and continuing in Isaiah, uh, thus, says the, uh, so thus says God the Lord, that he created the heavens and stretched them out. And he spread forth the earth and that which comes out of it. He that gives breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. So when they hear this word Gentiles, instead of thinking of this scripture to say, this is the, he's explaining this light, this is the light to the Gentiles, instead they think, no, we're the special people. We don't want to share this with the Gentiles. 
And so now they freak out when they hear this word Gentiles. And they gave him audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. Just because he's taken the law to the Gentiles. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air, so they're just absolutely losing it, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and instructed that he should be examined by scourging. So this is where they, they have this uh, knotted thread and they whip you and, and tear your skin. Uh, that's what happened to Christ, extremely painful, uh, that he might know where, why they cried so against him. So he, he knows it's not the Egyptian. He knows that he's not the Egyptian anymore. Doesn't know who he is, what he's done, but the whole of Jerusalem is in an uproar over him. So, okay, let's examine him by scourging. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, uh, Excuse me, <laughs> this is really funny. Uh, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to scourge a Roman that has not been condemned for anything that's innocent? And, and, and is a Roman citizen? When the centurion heard that, basically he panicked. So when the centurion heard that, um, where am I now? Uh, he says in verse 27, uh, so he, uh, sorry, verse 26, he told the chief captain saying, be careful what you do, this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The chief captain answered, with a great sum obtained I this freedom. So I basically took my whole life savings to become a Roman citizen. I had to buy this. And Paul said, well, I was born free. I was born a Roman citizen. So you bought your Roman citizen? I was born a Roman citizen. Then straight away they, depart they left him alone which should have examined him. So they were supposed to scourge him. They just drop everything and leave this man alone. He's a Roman citizen. And the chief captain also was terrified after he knew that he was a Roman because he had bound him. So he's already done that. And this is going to go to his superiors and you don't mess with Roman citizens. Anybody else is fine, but you don't touch Roman citizens. And so he's already mistreated this Roman citizen. The next day, because he would have known the certainty of why he was accused of the Jews, he released him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. And so that ends at, uh, at Acts chapter 21 and 22. And uh, what we're going to see now is in Jerusalem, he's now going to be taken to Rome. And, we're, and, and this is really uh, the whole drive that Luke has been writing as to how Paul comes to Rome. And now he's going to be on trial in Rome. So we're going to see here now that the, he thought he was going to perish in Jerusalem. And he was prepared to perish in Jerusalem. But in fact, God now has... No, I think I'll stop here. And we'll, uh, we'll pick up the story next week with Acts, Acts chapter 23.